I, I like dogs, so what I'm about to share for you dog lovers, don't get too upset, but I like dogs. They're fantastic. Uh, all my life I grew up with them. They're, they're wonderful creatures. But have you ever had a dog that you were just like, um, something's wrong with you, and um, I, need you to, I, I, need you, I need you just to relax. I can remember I was living with my brother in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I had an opportunity for him to get a dog. He always wanted a black lab, and so he finally got this dog and picked her, picked her out and brought her home, and um, she was, you know, just cute little puppy, you know, do puppy things, and as she got older, she never really got out of that puppy stage, even though she went to obedience school and, and was taught and trained, and she was just in... She was insane. Like, she was a crazy dog. And so much so that the vet even told my brother, said, you take that dog, she could go out to the country, she would survive all by herself. She doesn't need a pack. She doesn't need friends. Like, she's going to fend for herself. Like, literally, she would dig burrows into the ground and, like, live in these tunnel caves that she created underneath the, the backyard. I mean, it was absolutely ridiculous. And it was kind of frustrating at times because I, I like a dog that I can kind of, you know, like, you know, come here girl or come here boy and you know it's just kind of you know got, got his head on your lap or something like that and you're just kind of petting the dog it's just like ah oh, it's good to be it's good to be here it's good to be a dog I love my master like this is fantastic and and I remember my brother was just like uh, I got to learn from this mistake I got to figure out what I do for my next dog and the, 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 the poor thing her name was Molly uh, uh, and she would just never sit still even though she was worked with and uh, she, she just never she never really learned she would just kind of remain wild and, and never experienced really the love and the tenderness and the spoiling and the teaching and the, and the goodness of, uh, of her master. And so this morning, I don't, I don't know what you bring in here with you today. I, I realize that a lot of life has been lived over the last several months, especially in the life of our church family, just specific. But for those individuals that is, you're just in here today, we, we bring stuff with us where, whenever we come to church. And it's not like you can just necessarily leave it at the door, like it's still with you on your mind or on your heart. And my prayer has been that today that you would leave refreshed, specifically in Christ. Not just because you got maybe a goosebump moment feeling, but because of who you are in Christ, that there's just an experience of, of refreshment, renewal, joy, whatever that may be for you today, because you understand that you're, you're the real deal. Like, you're authentic in your faith because you are an individual, and we're going to hear a lot today, you're an individual who abides in Christ. And so let's read, and as we read John chapter 11, many of you know we're finishing today our I Am series that we've been journeying through, and this is the conclusion of that series. This is, this is a statement that Jesus has They've been in the upper room the night before his, his crucifixion. This is the same night that he predicts his betrayal by Judas. He predicts the denial by Peter. He's washed the disciples' feet. He's instituted the Lord's Supper. Um, we saw last week that he says, man, I want you guys to, to know that your hearts wouldn't be troubled. Uh, he, he shared with them in John 14 that I'm going to be leaving, but I'm going to be sending you the great comforter, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit into your lives. Like, this is, this is a big moment, and when we get to chapter 15, it's as if they've left the upper room and they're literally on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus will be arrested. And so it's on that journey there that as he's walking and talking with his disciples that the Apostle John is writing down these words of that experience. And so it's believed by many commenters that as they are walking along past a vineyard, that Jesus is taking another moment because he loves these guys to teach them one more time of just, I'm, I'm with you and man, it is going to be so good for you and so beneficial for you that even when it gets tough, and it's going to get tough for the disciples, 
for the followers of Jesus. In just a few hours, let alone the rest of their life, it's going to be uncomfortable. All but one of them will be martyred for their faith in Jesus. And that guy has to go live in exile on an island. And so it's going to be difficult. And he's just like, man, hear my words. You don't really get what's about to happen, but hear my words. So let's, let's take a look. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. He says, I am the vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken in you. Now, here's the first time that we see the word abide. I don't know what your translation says. Mine says abide. Just note how many times, like if you don't mind underlining, just note how many times Jesus uses and repeats this word. It's like he's trying to say something that they would get and we would get. Verse four, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of, its, uh, of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept the, my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Today, a little Shakespearean, we're going to ask that question, to abide or not to abide in Christ? That is the question. And many of us in this room would offer the correct answer, the correct Sunday school answer, the correct church answer. But I want you to examine in your life right now, practically, truthfully speaking, as you reflect in your relationship with the Lord, is what is the actual answer to abide or not to abide in Christ? That is the question. Are you abiding in Christ, dwelling with Christ, remaining in Christ, steadfast with Christ in the Lord, in a day-to-day -day relationship, fellowship with him. Let's pray to that end. Father, I'm asking that this morning, that everything else aside, that we just get this simple yet profound and sometimes hard to live out truth of abiding that we would see the goodness that it is, even when, even when it gets difficult, Lord, even when it's hard, that it is better, so much better to abide in you. So where you sit, would you pray for yourself right now and just, just ask the Lord to help you to see that truth and live the truth of abiding in, in Christ. And if you would, would you pray for me that I would help be a help to you and articulate this truth from God's word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. To kind of begin, just to give you an idea of some of the characters, because Jesus is kind of giving a teaching illustration as he's walking by, uh, he introduces a few different characters kind of in this teaching moment. He says, I am the true vine. So that's our I am statement for this week. I am the true vine. 
So we see that Jesus, if we're going by characters, Jesus is the vine. And then he says, my father is the vine dresser. So God, the father is the vine dresser. And then he refers to branches. And this is referring to us, to you and to me and to people. And he's saying that with these branches, there are two kinds of branches. There are the branches that have no fruit and the branches that bear fruit. And so in his teaching time, you just got to kind of keep that in mind because sometimes you can read this, at least in my mind, I may be the only one, but when I've read this, I'm like, okay, who's the vine? Who's the branches? You keep using the words a lot throughout these verses. So just kind of as clarity's sake, as we kind of dive in, just remember the vine is Jesus, the vine dresser is God the Father, and the branches are individuals, people, who are they abiding in the vine and are they bearing fruit? Or are they not? And so, as we ask that question, to abide or not to abide, let's look at what it means to not abide, to not abide. And again, that word, I've I've said it many times already, we've read it many times. For some of us, sometimes we might look at a concept that Scripture is teaching us, and we're like, okay, that's just what it says. But sometimes it's helpful to kind of turn that that object or that word and kind of look at it from different lens or a different angle to try to wrap your mind around it more fully or completely. And some of your translations may even help with this because it's not specifically using the word abide. But another way that you might think of this word, though I think abide is the best all-encompassing word that we have in English, is the word remain, rest, to be. Those are the kind of things that Jesus is saying And I know that we are a community of people because we're just people that we're all about, what can I do? I want to do something. And that's not a bad thing. But as we're going to see throughout today, the most important thing is that you be in relationship with Christ. Not that you're doing things for Jesus, but that you are in Jesus. And that's what we want to start with. And so when he says to, to not abide, that's to not remain. That's not to be in rest with Jesus, not to be in Christ. And what it makes you is it makes you an individual who is a professor. And I don't mean someone at MTSU who's teaching a class. I mean someone who is making statements and that's all that you're doing. You're just a, a, just a bag of hot wind. That's not the expression. You know what I'm saying. And so you're just someone, you're just saying things, but there's no truth or substance behind what you're saying. You can say whatever you want about yourself. It doesn't necessarily make it true. Uh, and so we have people who are professors, but... What they are, they are not fruit bearers. And what we find in verse 2, he says that every branch that does not bear fruit, he, the vine dresser, God the Father, takes away. And then later on in verse 6, he says, if anyone does not abide in me, that individual, that branch, if you will, is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them, cast them into the fire, and they are burned up. What we find that to not abide in the vine, to not abide and dwell and be in Christ, has some incredible consequences to it. It's not to scare people into a relationship with Jesus. It's to present the truth of the matter, that eternity is at stake, souls are at stake, and that if you are not abiding in Jesus, that means you're abiding in something else. And anything other than Jesus that you dwell in is only going to produce death ultimately. Even the best of relationships that you are invested in, even as diligent you are in your work life and in your school life, those things are all great. But if that's your focus and aim, that's really kind of how you identify yourself. I'm a student. I'm, I'm, uh, I don't know, a carpenter. I'm a whatever it may be. You're you're, you're dwelling, you're abiding, you're, you're saying, this is who I am. And what Christ is saying 
Those are characteristics about you. Those are maybe some attributes about you, but are you, are you in Christ? Because that is going to be for the security of your soul. So to not abide, you see some pretty harsh, honestly, consequence and punishment as a result. But now the rest of our time, we're going to see what it means to abide. You're not a professor just saying things. You're a possessor. You're someone who possesses and bears fruit. And in order for that to happen, to abide, he says in verse 2 that every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. He prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. God, God wants to prune, purge, cleanse. He wants, to, he wants to see us become what he's designed us to be, not just someone who's just simply, well, I heard about Jesus on the cross and I heard that he died for my sins. So if he can keep me from going to hell and keep me from being cast into that, then I'll, I'll give my life to Jesus. I got my fire insurance and I'm good to go. And it's just like, no, 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 you're, you're, you're missing in the joy and the completeness and the fullness of a relationship with Christ. And so Jesus, the, or excuse me, the vine dresser comes along and he starts the pruning process, which cannot be the most fun or enjoyable. Another word for prune is, is to cleanse. He says it in verse three. He says, you are already clean. Literally, it's the word prune. It's almost these synonymous words that would have been used in, in kind of this understanding of a vine dresser, of pruning things for the purpose of something to produce fruit. Another way to think about this is God wants you, where you sit with your experiences, with your abilities, God wants you to be full of productivity and to be a full fruit, a fruit bearer. That's a fun one to say. He wants you to be a full fruit bearer. And so God will cleanse, God will prune you, because some of you that have worked with plants, you understand that, that if there's a vine that is growing and a branch comes out of it, the hope is that that branch is going to produce some kind of fruit. We just bought a blueberry bush, and I'm very excited about this because I like blueberries, and it's fun to just watch these things. Did you know that before they become blue, they're actually white? It's fascinating. And, and what you find is, is that as those things are growing that the energy that is coming from the, from, from, from the vine and in order to kind of infuse itself to give what that fruit needs to be born and to produce and to be what it's designed to be. If, if you have little leaves kind of shooting off to the side or little, little, little saplings, it's literally sapping the energy of what is needed to produce that, that fruit. In fact, just yesterday, we planted some tulips uh, around our mailbox, and it was awesome. Like, we had the best mailbox in the whole neighborhood. And I told Tiffany, I was like, you did such a good job. And yesterday, she started, like, cutting things. And I was like, what are you doing? I mean, I, they'll grow back. And she's like, well, not for a year. And she said, I have to actually cut this in order, one, to make it look better. But two, we actually can't now cut these leaves just yet. We actually have to get to a point where they kind of dry out, turn red, so that the nutrients from that seep back into the flower in order for it to produce and bear that tulip, that bulb, next year in the way that we want it to look. And I was like, you don't even know. I got a sermon illustration out of you. And, I, and it's just this idea of in order for us to produce and bear, how God, is, God has designed you to bear fruit. He's not designed you just to exist and just kind of be there with Jesus, just kind of like attached to him. He's like, no, no, no. I want to work in and through you to accomplish some extraordinary things in your life and the people that are around you in your church and in, in your community. And so for that to happen, he prunes. So two questions that I have. Well, why does he prune? And simply it's to keep you clean, healthy, and able to produce more and more and more and more fruit. The other reason that he would prune us is for his glory and for your good. Sometimes we don't like that answer. Have you ever been pruned by God? And some of you are like, yes, and I hated it. And I don't blame you. 
Because sometimes the other way in which he prunes us, or the other question is, how does he prune us? There's a, there's a litany of ways that we could look at how God prunes us or cleanses us within our lives. One example comes from this idea of discipline. At times, how God prunes us is he disciplines us. And even when I was a child growing up in my family's home, we were, we were appropriately disciplined by my parents. But in the moment, I was like, why do you hate me? Like, why would you discipline me in such a fashion? Like, I'm precious and I'm adorable. Like, there's no reason for this. This is absurd. And, and what you find is that what your parents were doing for you in an appropriate fashion, we're not talking about abuse, but an appropriate fashion of discipline immediately made my mind go to Hebrews chapter 12. And we're not, I don't think it's on the screen. So just listen to Hebrews 12. I'm just going to read just a few, but go, go to Hebrews 12 later on today and read verses five through 11. But in this passage, he says in verse seven, it is for discipline that you endure because God deals with you as his sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? I've heard one pastor put it this way. I don't discipline the neighbor's kids. I discipline my kids. God disciplines his kids for our good and for his glory. You go, well, how's that good for me? Well, verse 11, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. Amen, author of Hebrews, but sorrowful. But listen to this, yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful, here it is, fruit of righteousness. I don't know about you, but one of the bits of fruit that I would hope to produce in my life is the evidence of righteousness, not my own, but his. And it's going to happen at times when he, when he disciplines us. Another way that you can think of this, just because it's where my mind went, is here's kind of the fruit example of what God does in our life because he wants us to produce more and more. He wants us to be more and more in love with his son and living with him and for him. As I was thinking about the, the, the other example that's given to us by Peter of being refined as a precious metal. You guys know this, that, that if, a, if a silversmith was going to take some of that precious metal of silver, but it hasn't been refined yet, he takes that, that metal, that, 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 that silver, and he puts it in, into a kiln, and he just cranks up that heat to 11, and then it just, it just begins to just take that metal and melt it down to its purest form. And as a result, all of the other organic properties that are not a part of that precious metal, it begins to literally rise to the top. And then the, the silversmith, he would come over, and he would just take some device like a spoon, and he would just kind of take off the dross. He would take off the impurities that are there off the top, but it took the refinement process of that hot, hot fire in order to get to where the precious metal is indeed precious. Sometimes what God does in our life is not easy, but it is for our good and for his glory because we want to be those who are fruit bearers. The other answer to the question of how does he prune is we find in verse three, he prunes through the word, specifically his word. Look at verse three. He says, you are already clean, or again, pruned, because of the word which I have spoken in you. We're not going to dive deep into this because I think we are a people of the word. We respect the word. We honor the word. Hopefully you're reading the word. But I just wrote this down. I said, the word reveals trouble, and the word heals that trouble that was revealed. The word reveals trouble, but it also heals that trouble. When you get into the truth of God's word, it is like 
James talks about it being like a mirror, showing your reflection of knowing exactly who you are. That is the beauty of the word. The, the, the prophet Isaiah 6 says that when God speaks up, when he shows up, man, it's just like he's revealing to me like a spotlight on you of all of the junk and impurities in your life so that you can see yourself, how holy God sees you. And it's not to just necessarily make you kind of be disgusted with yourself. It's to go, ooh, there's some stuff. I need to take it to the Lord to be pruned, to be clean, to be refined so that I can live for him. The word is good to reveal trouble, but also to heal the trouble. A way to kind of think about this, to illustrate this, uh, I don't think I've shared this in here, but maybe in a small group I did. But years ago, I was working um, at a summer camp, and uh, I had the blessing of having eighth grade boys, about 12 of them. It was awesome. And, and sometimes hit and miss when you get those middle school boys. Sometimes you get like the best cabin in the world, and sometimes you get that cabin. You're just like, oof, I'm ready for your parents to pick you up. I love you in Jesus' name. And so what would happen is, as we were at, the, at this uh, camp, we had a creek that ran through the camp, and it was just this awesome place to go. And you could swim in the creek, but we had a drought that summer. And so the creek is getting dried up and it's just basically mud. And what do you do with eighth grade boys? You say, boys, let's go play in the mud. And so we went and we played in the mud and we got into a mud fight. And we're just slinging stuff at each other. And was like, try not to hit people in the head because that's not fun. And so other people start showing up because his cabin's having a good time. And so they start playing. So we have this huge mud fight and it's just fantastic and it's wonderful. And then one of the kids, his name is Reed. I kid you not. That was his name. Spelled just like mine. Uh, beautiful, beautiful young man. And so Reed, he, he all of a sudden, he, <laughs> I'm kind of looking this way and he goes, Mr. Stephen. And that's what they called you as a counselor. Mr. Stephen. He just chunked this thing. And, and, I, and I looked and I didn't, and all of a sudden, bah, it just hit me in the side of the head. And this mud clod just goes right into my ear, into the ear canal. And I'm just like, oh, Reed, what are you doing, buddy? And so I'm trying to get that out. And I do what a, you know, a 20-year-old guy does. Uh, I go to, um, <laughs> you know, the, uh, to like to the, to, to the bathroom, to like to the shower. And I'm just like, eh, I think I got it. And a few days go by and I'm like, my ear hurts. And it's kind of muffled on the right side. Like, what's going on here? And so I go to the camp nurse, and I'm like, camp nurse, can you put like some swimmer's ear stuff in there? And she's like, what's going on? I was like, ah, I just got something in there, I think. And so she starts doing some things. And then eventually about, I don't know, about maybe five, five days later, it, it's, it's starting to hurt a little bit more, and my hearing's a little bit more muffled. And so finally I go to the new camp nurse, and she was better. And she goes, she goes, tell me what happened. And I, and I told her, and she's like, we have to take you to the doctor and we need to get you to like an ear, nose, throat specialist and, and have them take a look. And this was the beauty of the thing. I get in there and I sit down and this wonderful doctor lady is sitting there and she gets that device, you know, that's got the little spotlight and she sticks it there in my ear and she goes, oh my goodness. That is disgusting. Not what you want to hear from the ENT doctor. But when she took the appropriate device, turned the light on, she could go into a deep, dark, cavernous spot and see inside of me what I could not see for myself. And she was like, that needs to be cleaned out. And this was the fun part. This has nothing to do with anything. But she started putting stuff in my ear and just like shooting things. And had like one of those bedpans. And I kid you not, like, like just junk is just coming out. And I'm like, oh, I feel a little bit better. Uh, and the same is true with the word of God. If you guys, if we as a church, as you as an individual, as a family, gather around the word and be disciplined and diligent to say, man, I want to come into the presence of the Lord because when I come into the truth of his word, he is going to reveal things in my life that may be uncomfortable and even kind of hurt because it wasn't the most pleasurable thing to have that stuff, that water shoot up into your ear and for that stuff to come out. 
And it took a while for the healing to actually finish on the inside of my ear. It wasn't like an immediate fix. I could hear better, but it still was sensitive and tender. Sometimes I wonder if at times we're almost afraid to go to the Lord and to his word because we're afraid of what he's going to say or what he's going to see or what he's going to show us. And, and, and I get that. But man, it is so good to go into his presence because we have to be reminded our God is a good God, a loving God, and he wants you to bear fruit. And it's only when we allow him to kind of come into our life and invade in, in, in a way. And so some people, when they, they've read this over the years, some commenters will say, well, this seems to be about people who have once had salvation, who were abiding in Christ, but now because they're no longer bearing fruit, they have lost their salvation. And that, that, is, not, that is not correct. Jesus is speaking of either you abide or you don't. You bear fruit or you don't. This is how you as a Christian can be defined. A Christian can be defined as an individual who bears little fruit, an individual who bears more fruit than that, or an individual who bears much fruit. Christians are not defined as one who bears no fruit. And I share that with you this morning because if in your life you look around and you're like, I don't see any fruit in my life, it's not to cause you to be any more than just ask the question, why not? Because if Christ is in me and I'm abiding in him and there's no fruit, there's no product, there's no evidence of a relationship with Christ, there, there has to be if I'm abiding in him. It's not perfection, but there is evidence of a relationship with Christ. And so when we talk about the blessing of abiding, there's a few different things that you can kind of see. And, and the first is the blessing of abiding is that we produce fruit. Look at verse five. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. So a few different kinds of fruit that I wanna, wanna hit on for just a moment. There's action fruit, action fruit. Action fruit might be something in the nature of, for you as a follower of Jesus, you're doing things, you're acting out in your faith and in your relationship with Christ. Maybe it's, I'm gonna, I'm gonna act by being a part of the church. I'm gonna serve, I'm gonna minister. I'm gonna proclaim the gospel to someone. I'm gonna have a gospel conversation. I'm gonna praise God, I'm gonna worship him. And there's these different actions that we have. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a part of the ministry going on with the DR. I'm gonna pray for our team and support our team financially. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be doing things. And those are action fruits that we have for those of us who abide in, abide in Christ. But the other kind of fruit that I want to hit on is attitude fruit, attitude fruit. And when I think of attitude fruit, think of Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, where we read from Scripture that there's these different attitudes, attributes, characteristics that we have, such as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control. We, we have the fruit of the Spirit in our life. But, but here's the key thing. Sometimes if we're not careful, what we do as individuals and as a church is we want to have all the action. We want to do something without the attitude. And that's so backwards because action without attitude produces legalism. And I don't want us to go down that path. And so if you can kind of think of it like this is um, we have this idea of Jesus is saying, if you will abide in me, you will bear fruit. And when we abide, we, we produce through abiding in him, attitude fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. And as a result of producing those attitude fruits, then we begin to produce and bear action fruit. And when we do those things, because we're again, beginning with abiding in Christ, we produce 
attitude fruit, action fruit. What that then produces for you is assurance fruit. Assurance fruit. And what I mean is, again, I've told you before, a question I get more often than not is, how do I know that I know that I'm in Christ, that I'm saved? My hope is that you see that you have these different, these different fruits in your life that, that are being born out of a relationship with, with Jesus. Because he even says, he even says in, in verse 8, my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. And so prove, prove to be my disciples. Demonstrate the fact, the reality, that because you're bearing fruit, it demonstrates you're abiding in the vine. You're being in Christ. We don't have time to deep dive into these for our time this morning, but some of the other blessings of abiding is not just fruit bearing, but in verse 7, it speaks of our prayers. In verse 8, it speaks of honoring and glorifying God. That's a blessing of abiding. It speaks of love in verse 9. That if we are abiding in Christ, the blessing is that we get to experience obedience in verse 10. In verse 11, if the blessing of abiding is joy. So a true Christian who abides bears fruit and continues in love, continues in obedience, continues in knowing and experiencing joy. Like that's what you have. And for so many within the life of the church, and I hope and pray that if this is where you're at right now, that you would hear these words right now, that for you to abide in Christ, it it reminds me of if you're not right now abiding in Christ, you would say, I feel distant from God, the people of God, the things of God, the word of God that you have the ability to rush into his presence and like David in Psalm 51, that when you begin to recognize that you need to be in his presence, that you would cry out, oh God, restore to me the joy of your salvation in my life. Like I want to know that experientially. I want to see you at work in my life. I want to produce this fruit because to abide in you, man, such benefits, even if I'm uncomfortable, as the disciples were about to be incredibly uncomfortable, to abide in Jesus is going to produce so much more and things so much more important than even your comfort. And so when I was thinking about the idea of abiding, I, was, I think that it sounds kind of simple, but I think you find it to be one of the more difficult things at times that we struggle with as Christians. It's that simple, but it's that difficult. Again, because I think we're doing people. Some of you know I've referenced before Dr. Henry Blackaby's study, Experiencing God. It was just a great study for me in my life. And he made this statement. He says, we always want to be doing something. Every now and then someone will even cry out, don't just stand there, do something. You ever been there like with your parents or your family when you're growing up and dad was like, don't just stand there, dig, like do something. It's like, oh, okay. And, and you're just expending energy. But in contrast, it's as if God is crying out to us Don't just do something, stand there. Enter and just be in a relationship with me. Get to know me, adjust your life to me. Let me love you and reveal myself through you to a watching world. Because here's the thing, and I know we're big on this, and we're even going to share something later on for you to do something. A time will come and will be called for where we are going to be doing things. But if we skip the relationship part, we skip the being in Christ part, the abiding in Christ, then what we do is, again, we produce legalism. The relationship with Christ must, must, must be first in your life. I don't care how often you darken the doors of this place and you open your Bible, take incredible notes and 
sing your heart out. Like those things are all fine and good, but I want you to know and be in a relationship with Christ because it's only in him that we begin to truly then do things that are worth doing and that are going to make an impact. See, at the very beginning of that study through experiencing God, the very first chapter and the very first verse that Dr. Blackaby makes you memorize is John 15, 5. Look at it with me. John 15, 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Here it is, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you actually believe that? That without him, you can do nothing because he means it. And oftentimes we try to get ahead of him because we want to earn his love. We think he's disappointed in us, so we want to do something for him. Now you love me. It's like, no, 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 he just loves you. Just be in a relationship with him. Choose to abide. And so in just a moment, we're, we're going to have an opportunity to, to, to sing. But, but before we get to that, I know at this time you could be thinking about a bunch of different things. You could be thinking about, oh, we got to get some stuff ready for the kitchen, or I, I really got to go to the restroom. I wish he would just zip it. And what I'm asking you to do is for you to miss this moment is to miss the point. Because you can hear all day long, I sat through a sermon and I heard abide, 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 abide. I don't know how many times you can count and tell me later. But if you don't take a moment to reflect on your abiding in Christ, like your personal relationship with him, then you've, we've squandered our time. So my question is just simply this, are you abiding? And I want to just show you three practical means of what it looks like to practically abide in Christ. And it's what I shared before in our welcome. I think it has everything to do with our time, our resources, and our abilities. And you go, are you asking for money? No. No. I'm talking about abiding and being in a relationship with Christ. And these are things that seem to be very important to us. And we try to be very careful with these things to make sure our time is managed as well as we can because we're so busy. We try to be very careful with our resources, not just our money, but taking care of like your home or, or maybe a tool that you have or just whatever it may be, the different things that you have in your life. So when we talk about practically abiding with your time, I want to invite you this week to practice resting in him, trusting his timing, waiting on him, getting into the word and having that time to let the word reveal and the word to heal in your life. Because it's when you're choosing to abide and taking the time to do that, that you begin to really have an idea of, of who he is and just knowing him. And when you have that kind of confidence and courage that this is who I am in Christ, that's when you're able to press on. Some of you, if you're not careful, maybe right now, as I said earlier, you brought stuff in with you and you were just weighed down so heavy. And people are saying things to you into your life or you're just feeling a certain way and that feeling is just overwhelming you. And I'm saying, man, get into the truth of his word, be in his presence so that way you can know, no, 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 no. The enemy wants me to think that about myself. That person wants me to think that about myself, but that's not who I am. This is who God says I am. And I know that not based upon my feeling, but upon the authority of God's word. And because I know that I can go on. I can press forward. I'm not going to be stuck in this moment. I'm going to press forward from this moment. The same is true, not just with our time, but our, with our resources, that we would trust him with what we have 
that we wouldn't be individuals that are holding just with tight fists of God, this is mine. You gave it to me, but this is mine. It's just like, no, 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 I'm going to release that and say, God, this is mine. It's still in my hand. You're allowing me to have it. But Father, do you need it? Do you want to use it for your good and for your glory, for your kingdom? Do, do you, is, I, I'm holding my stuff with open hands. And if we abide in Christ and we are in his presence and we trust him, we're going to know that that's the best posture to have with the things that we have so that they don't take hold of us and become a God into our life. And the other are the abilities of what we're doing. I want you to ask yourself these two questions. What are you doing and what are we doing as a church in our life that could be done without any reference to God at all? What are you accomplishing in this life that really God doesn't even need to be a part of the equation? It's very easy in the life of like a church, for example, to have programs and ministries and worship sets and plan things. And, and then because God is not in it, we experience meager fruit as a result of it. Because we're doing things in our power and in our ability. That's true for a church. That's true for us as individuals because we're just busy doing stuff. But we got to come back to just being in a relationship with him. The other question is, what are you doing in your life personally or as a church that you know cannot be accomplished unless God shows up and unless God intervenes? And those are some remarkable, scary moments of stepping out in faith. For the church, for a church to, to grow, and hopefully we as a church grow because healthy things grow, for revival to happen, for, for a mission trip to actually have an impact, for, for different things in your life individually. It's like, I know this can't happen unless God decides and shows up and does something. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust on him and wait on him. But man, the most important thing, the most crucial thing, and again, I don't wanna make assumptions with you in this room this morning or with anyone watching this later on, that there are things in your life that you cannot accomplish without God's intervention. And the most essential one is your soul's salvation. There's not enough that you can do to make God forgive you. It's just simply he's available to forgive you by what he's done. It's not what you can do, but it's what he's already accomplished through Christ's work on the cross. Again, we want to work, but God is saying, ha, I took care of the work. I did the work. Jesus did the work on the cross and through the resurrection of the grave. Salvation isn't accomplished by you. It's accomplished by Jesus. And maybe this morning, maybe not for you as an individual who, who is not in Christ, but maybe for you as an individual who is in Christ, maybe that's something that you need to come back to and be reminded of, that my salvation is because of him. Sometimes we can kind of get full of ourselves if we're not careful of like, I know this, I've grown up in this, I, just, I know that I'm saved. And it's like, yes, I'm glad that you know that, but is it arrogance or is it gratitude? Is it, is it, is it, is it confidence and boasting in Christ and his cross, or is it boasting in yourself because you happen to be born in a certain country at a certain time where the gospel is prevalent and you heard it one day. And it's easy for us to lose sight of that if we're not abiding in Christ. So if you would, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, as, as, as we dismiss, we're going to be singing a song that has to do with abiding because we want you to walk away with your time this morning, knowing what it is and be maybe reminded and refreshed of what it is to be in Christ. I don't know what your life has looked like this week or the past month or six months, maybe past year or more, but maybe right now, some of you, you do not feel close to the Lord. Man, feelings are so incredibly powerful. 
Maybe some of you feel like I've just been going through just the rat race. But I wonder, is God there and does he care? And why would I be going through dot, dot, dot if he really loves me? I don't have the answer to that. But what I do have is the truth and the authority of his word that I know that he loves us. And I know that he's with us. And I know that if we would choose to abide in him, the plethora of experiences and joys that we get of abiding in Christ, we can't even really fathom. And so if you're distant, feel distant from God and the things of God and the people of God, would you just in the next few moments as Eli plays and Lauren and Missy sing, would you take advantage of the time that you have? Maybe you don't even need, you don't even need to stand. You, you just need to sit just with your head down and your eyes closed and just, just talk to God for just these few, few verses. That'd be the best thing that we could possibly have you do. Others of you, you may stand and you're, you're going to echo these words and maybe these words are your prayer to God. But whatever you do, don't, don't squander the time to respond to his word. Capitalize on it. He's spoken, now you get a chance to kind of talk back, if you will. And finally, if, if you're an individual that you've heard from this word and, and from myself multiple times, abide, abide, abide. And that concept of being in Christ sounds just so foreign to you. You're like, I don't even know what that begins to look like. I would ask that you would, during our song or even afterwards, just find me and say, can we talk a little bit more about what it means to abide in Christ? How could I be in a relationship with Jesus? How is that even possible? I didn't even know that was a thing. I just thought to be with God was just to go to church. and it's <laughs> No, no. So much more than that. So Father, I pray that as we give our attention to you that as we have a chance now that we've heard from you that we would respond to you through prayer through song through worship but father help us not just to go to the next thing in our mind or in our heart and father i know that there are some in this room right now that they are struggling with wanting to abide in you because life's just been so hard i pray that they would choose like david to rush into your presence and say restore to me the joy of your salvation I want to know your joy. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you guys would, would you stand? If you need to stay seated, go for it. But if you would stand, sing with Lauren. Take that time to pray.